to Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hey, podcast listeners. Welcome to Nonprofit Lowdown with your host, Rhea Wong. I'm here today with my friend, Emily Hicks-Rotella, who is the CEO formerly of Make Excel Work For You, now CEO of the newly founded Make Tech Work For You. She is a longtime nonprofit staffer, and today we're going to talk all about how to make tech work, what it means to be data-driven, and how to get your digital house in order. Welcome, Emily. Hi, Ria. Thank you so much for having me. So excited. Talk to me a little bit about what is it that you do? What does Make Tech work for you? Working in nonprofit, like you said, I, I am currently full-time at an education nonprofit, and I've been working in nonprofit for almost a decade. And it was a journey for me to become a quote-unquote tech person and be uh, super into tech and data. And I saw that a lot of my colleagues in the nonprofit world were being held back from having their maximum impact because of their discomfort or fear around tech and data. And I wanted to share how I was able to gain confidence in that area, confidence and skills. And so uh, in addition to what I do for my full-time work, I started Make Tech Work For You so that I could bring that message and that learning to other people working in nonprofit and have them up their tech game. And it started with Excel, but has moved on to all kinds of tech and data. Okay. Technology in the nonprofit sector, is it an oxymoron? And what does it mean? Because everyone and their mother is talking about, we want to be a data-driven organization. What does that even mean? I, you have to Google it to find everybody's definition of data-driven. But it really, I think, just means that you are committed to looking at data and looking at information to make decisions to extract knowledge, to gain insights, and to know whether you're going in the right direction or not. That can be a scary thing to know that you have to pivot. Sometimes the impact that you want to be having or think that you're having isn't exactly there, and uh, data can tell you that. So being data-driven really means to use the information that you can have, that you can gather, to make your decisions and know where you're going and where to go next. I think that's such an important distinction because I I do meet with a lot of nonprofits who say that they're data-driven, but actually it just means that they're data (laughs) collection-driven. Yes. And it can be scary to have so much data and not know what you're going to do with it. So it is important to have a plan and a strategy when you're thinking both about the collection part and also how you're going to use data in the end. So what might a plan look like as an example? Well, it starts with a lot of questions, right? What are we doing? What do we want to be doing? Who are we serving? Pretty much the questions that you're asking yourselves at a nonprofit in any case. And then thinking really deeply about what are the critical factors that could move the needle in different directions, and then collecting information that impacts those moves. Mm-hmm. It sounds so simple, and yet why is it so hard? Well, I mean, they call it big data because it is big, and big things can be pretty scary. It is hard to know what you need to know, right? There's that whole, I don't know what I don't know. And that's true. We don't know what there's a million variables and factors that can have an impact on the work you're doing now and the communities that you're serving. It 
really you have to give yourself the go ahead to say, hey, we might actually collect some data that we don't need in the end, or maybe we're going to miss some data that we wish we had later. But you're really giving it a shot. And the more that you do it, the more your mindset is around the idea that you're going to be using this data for your decision making, the more you're going to get comfortable in choosing where to collect data and, and where not to collect data. Okay, so Emily, am I data and tech driven if I have a CRM system or a Salesforce system? Like, <laughs> why can't I just check that box and be like, done, I'm data driven? Well, I think uh, that goes back to what you said earlier. There's data collection. And it's great to have a lot of data. CRM is a great place to house a lot of data. But it's really about what you use that data for. So if you're just collecting it, that's one step. And that's great. But if you're not looking at that data on a regular basis to understand your actions and what your future actions might be, then I don't think you're necessarily being driven by the information you're collecting. Mm -hmm. And so often I see in nonprofits, it's like, okay, we're going to hire a tech data manager and that'll solve all of our problems. You're laughing. Why, <laughs> why is that funny? Well, I do work on the tech team at a nonprofit now, and I've been in tech and data roles at other nonprofits. And as much as I love being in that role, I'd say my biggest need in these roles has been for other people to have a higher level of data and tech awareness or really just confidence and comfort, because that would make my job easier to deliver information, to partner with my colleagues to gather the right information. And I do see that when you're working with folks who have said something to the effect of, I'm just not a techie, or I just don't do this data stuff, then even when we deliver technology and data that could help their work and help them in their impact, it doesn't make as much of a connection and it's not as successful with them because there's still this kind of a wall, an emotional wall, or just some underlying assumptions that can't be broken that keep them from fully realizing the potential of the data and technology at their fingertips. So what do we do about that? Uh, it's a great question. So there's a lot of different ways that people, anyone can become a little bit more comfortable with their data, with their technology, especially for people in mission-driven work. So this is stuff that people will recognize that they use already in their jobs. They just might not have realized that they can apply it to data and technology. First thing that I would tell anyone is take a step back from your technology and your data. You want to close your computer, sit down maybe even with a piece of paper. If you really like painting, get your canvas out and think about the big picture of what you're trying to achieve. Data and technology are not going to solve poverty and crime and education gaps. They are just tools to help get there. And when you paint that big picture, you can start to refocus on what work you're trying to do and where data and technology fits into that picture. First off, you can know to get better at technology, close your computer. Think about the big picture. Uh, another tip is to think about the different pieces that make up that big picture. So once you've got that big picture drawing in your head or on paper, then you take it apart into the smaller milestones that you want to reach and break those down even more into achievable actions and see where data and technology impact those smaller areas. So again, you don't say, how does data close the education gap? 
we'd look down at a small action like bringing our kids uh, test scores up percentage points and see how data and technology can impact those smaller actions. I think what's really important is the leadership around becoming a data-driven organization. So can you give the listeners who are in positions of leadership within their organizations some tips about how to encourage and lead with a data-driven tech-forward mindset? Sure. People in leadership positions at nonprofits are such great role models for technology, and they can really influence every level of employee in the organization. Having a positive attitude, as silly as that might sound when you're talking about a serious topic like data and technology, really just having a positive attitude about it can be one of the biggest uh, impacts. So much of what happens in a nonprofit is because of leadership. And so how would you recommend that leaders in nonprofits lead with a tech-forward, data-forward mindset to for the rest of their staff? That's a great question. So leaders, in a big way, can shape culture. And culture is one of the most important parts of being able to bring data-driven decision-making and tech-forwardness into an organization. So a leader that emphasizes a learning culture, a culture of change, a culture of iteration, a culture of growth, all of these kind of what some people might think of as soft skills are actually, I would say, 90% the most important things that a person needs to be more comfortable and confident using a hard skill like data and technology. So a leader that can emphasize that it's good to learn new things, all new things. So whether that's new ways to fundraise or new ways to use technology, a leader that can emphasize that we're not going to get it perfect at the onset. We're probably going to iterate over time to just continually improve. And you do that across all areas. The more those cultures are there, the more they'll be there for technology as well. And then embracing new ideas and new opportunities that come up. So change can be scary and new technology and changes in technology can be daunting. But if we embrace them with a positive attitude, a can-do attitude, and an open-mindedness that says we'll probably start small and get to that big goal as we iterate, then that's going to really trickle down from leadership to all levels of employee and make everyone feel a little bit more comfortable, a little more confident in using their data and their tech. So I just have a really tactical question. So we know that a lot of folks nowadays are spending lots of time and energy in creating CRM systems, Salesforce being one example. And how do you keep people from having shadow tracking systems? Because we all know that the night of a million spreadsheets is out there. And especially if we've spent the time and energy to create a database, we don't want these shadow systems working in parallel. Yep. So you might think as the uh, owner of a business called Make Excel Work For You that I was pro a thousand spreadsheets, but I'm glad you brought that up. It's really important to me that people know that a spreadsheet or anything else is, again, just a tool or a stepping stone to getting towards your impact. So when we think about having shadow systems, there's a whole new attitude that I've heard cropping up with people in this world to not demonize them as much. It's even to change the name shadow system to something else like individual work system, something like that. But the reason that we're trying to bring them out of the shadows is because 
people in nonprofits are super scrappy and they're going to do what they need to do to get their work done. Mm -hmm. And the IT systems and the CRMs that we put in place, we can actually learn from what they're doing because if they're creating their own systems, there could be, it could be just because they've made a decision on their own. A person has made a decision to opt out of what the organization is doing, but in many cases, it's because the system doesn't seem to the employee to do what they need it to do to make their impact. So asking the question, why are you needing this other system and how can we improve our CRM with it is going to help both parties come to a new understanding of what the work is and how the technology can help accelerate that work. So let's bring all those shadow systems out of the shadow. Be proud of your shadow systems. You're making something that works for you. That's what we want. We want the technology to work for you. There's a lot of benefits to having centralized data and systems. So let's talk about what those benefits are, how they can benefit you and and take whatever benefits and value you are making with your own system, pull them in so that everyone else can benefit from them as well and give you even more value by being part of everybody else's system. So can we talk about a little bit of where the rubber hits the road as far as tactical things leaders can do? So one thing I was thinking about is in your hiring process, making technology fluency something that you're looking for actively. What other tips do you have for us to change the culture of technology and data within an organization? Yeah, that's a great question because there's so much support that could be given. There's a lot of, of tips that we can share here. So in addition to looking in hiring processes, I think advertising the training that can be given. So opening it up to peer training. One of the things that I did in one of my organizations was to go around to regional offices and really connect with employees to train them on our systems. And that was an internal training that from someone who understood the context. If we are able to offer that through our peers and we can share our stories that way, I think that's a huge benefit, not just for people who are already in the organization, but like you mentioned with hiring, many people who are looking for jobs might not have all of the qualifications, but they're really gung-ho and they want to learn and get to know how to do even more skills. So offering the ability to train and learn those skills on the job from their peers or from maybe an HR program could be a huge benefit for both sides. Another tip I think would be to just make technology part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So instead of having, we were talking a little earlier that technology can sometimes be siloed. So there's the tech department, the finance department, and really technology can be an underlying support to all departments and all parts of the mission and impact. So making sure that technology and data are just part of those conversations, that can really manifest in so many ways. Meaning at weekly meetings, you want to be bringing the information from your systems, whatever they are, whatever dashboards you have, and talking about them with your team. Even in personal manager and employee one-on-ones, you can be talking about how are you using technology? How does it feel? Are you feeling confident in it? Do you need more confidence in it? So just having it be part of the conversation and a general transparency around technology can bring it, again, out of the shadows. One thing that you mentioned that I thought was so interesting, and I actually hadn't even thought about it until you mentioned it, which is that there might be some insecurities on the part of leaders because when you aggregate your data and you have a single source of truth, you are opening yourselves up to some potential data gaps. And so can you talk about how you overcome that or recognize that in yourself? 
it's not easy, right? Because you're learning truths about not just your data, but your work, what you've been uh, pouring your heart and soul into. If you can see that maybe there's a need to pivot or even just that you there's something you don't know that you think you really should know, it, it can definitely hit you hard. And, and you'll start asking yourself the questions like, why didn't we do it this way? Why aren't we changing? So, you know, being open to having those emotions, even knowing that they could come. I think that's something that is uh, not recognized as well as it could be that data and technology as cold and scientific as they might sound, actually come wrapped in a huge amount of emotional baggage. And whether it's just about how to use it or the actual insights that it's providing you. So being open to know that, hey, it's okay to feel emotion around all of this. And then taking each of those emotions and saying, great, now what can we do about it? So, and supporting your employees, you know, talking about what leaders can do. I think it's really important for leaders to be open with their emotions around technology and to support the ones that their employees are having as well. So Emily, I want to talk a little bit more about the emotional side of tech, because I think often we forget the fact that behind the technology, which we perceive as being emotionless, very technical, very mechanical, that in fact, that there are human beings behind the technology and that people get frustrated, especially when they're asked to change the way they do things. So how, how do you deal with the emotional side of technology? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's funny that we often think of tech and data as emotionless, because when you're in it, and you're staring at your computer, and something's not working, and that those feelings bubble up, and you just want to throw your computer against the wall, you know, emotion is involved. But first of all, just recognizing that can be really helpful. And like you said, there's a human behind this. So regardless of all of the AI and virtual reality tech, computers are essentially stupid. And I always tell this to my clients and we're coaching on using Excel, like Excel is generally stupid. And it, it takes a really smart and thoughtful and emotional person behind the scenes to be able to gently tell this dumb computer system what to do and how to do it. So you should first off also be really proud of yourself for being a human being with a thought and critical thinking and problem solving. You're the person making impact in the world. Your data and your technology are there to support you. They can help you do things faster. They can get you information faster, more information faster, help you come to different conclusions because you have that information, but it's you doing the work. So recognizing yourself as the owner of this data and tech is a really great start to feeling that emotional wellness around there. There's a couple of great resources also out there already, like Beth Cantor's book, The Happy Healthy Nonprofit, has some great information about how to step away from your technology, how to use mindful technology to help you get in a good headspace for this. But I think that first and foremost, recognizing your emotions and that they are valid recognizing that you own this system. So even though it's doing some weird stuff, maybe and making you frustrated, you have the power to fix it. And by far, I would also say reach out for help. There is no reason to do this alone. And I know there come times when it's midnight and you're sitting in front of your spreadsheet, let's say, uh, and you just need to get the numbers right and you think there's nobody else out there to help, but there is always someone else out there to help. So taking a step back and then giving yourself space to ask for help from someone else in a new perspective can be a huge emotional release to get you <laughs> feeling better about what you're doing with your data and your tech. 
How do you as a leader get past the fear of maybe the data telling you something you don't want to know and or protecting the confidentiality of your data? Because we also know that we work with very sensitive information. It's very important, you're right, to protect this data. And, and we feel a huge amount of responsibility to get it right. And there's a lot of truth to that. I would never discount the fact that, oh, you could just do whatever with your data. Well, talking about emotion and managing emotion, accept that fear is involved and talking about it can usually help release some of that fear. Hiring really good people to take an eye onto your data and what you're trying to say with it, whatever story you're telling with your data, and making sure that you have multiple different perspectives reviewing it so that there's not just one vacuum of information going out or coming in. With the fear of understanding or getting the knowledge that maybe something you have been doing, ways you've been operating might need to pivot, I think that this goes along with uh, having a culture of change, having a culture of iteration. You can never uh, change the past, but you can learn and change the future. So it is a blessing to be able to have information about what we're doing. And if it means that we need to change what we're doing, that's a great learning experience. We should give ourselves a lot of space to process if we've been doing things one way and we see that it needs to change. Most likely it's never 100% bad or 100% good. You usually pivot in small percentages to get towards that impact that you want. So getting that information, finding out either that you want to stay on the same track or that you want to change tracks is a really positive experience to learn from. And trying to hold that understanding when you are having those feelings of fear is the thing that I think can alleviate some of that fear. Okay, so if I'm a leader and I'm like, Emily, 100%, I have drunk the data Kool-Aid, but I don't have any money and I don't have any staff to do it. So what do I do next? Yeah, that's a great question. So I often have heard when people are, are asked to become, quote unquote, more data driven, that they'll push back to say, hey, I've always been data driven, my students tell me this and I act on it. And so we're all gathering information in one way or another, recognizing that and then trying to do it in a more organized way. It doesn't need a big CRM system. There's so many free tools that can do it. And there's a lot of help online to help you use those tools. But I would say just start thinking through that strategy. We talked about this at the beginning. Even if you are on the data train and you want to do it, uh, it's not going to be in uh, the direction that's going to be helpful and most successful if you don't start with strategy. And you don't need to invest in a, any technology or any staff necessarily to start working on that strategy. So that would be the first part. Once you have that strategy and, and really good thinking around what you want out of being data-driven, what impacts you want to have and what uh, actions you have available to you, then you're going to be able to shop around at the different tech and different people that you could hire and keep within your budget. One thing that I've heard as a interesting tip in best practice is it, it isn't often, it's not enough to hire one person to oversee tech and data, but in fact that you have to really be thoughtful about embedding people on each team in order to drive the data culture. Would you agree with that? 
Absolutely. I absolutely agree. I think that everyone working in mission-driven work can up their technology and data game. And the word I would use here is ownership. I really think that each person who is part of that impact should feel ownership over their tech and their data. And if the culture is to push that ownership only into one team, the IT team or the tech team, then giving up that ownership puts a lot of the onus off of each employee to be data driven, to be curious about what data could tell us. Mm -hmm. And so pulling that back into all facets of the nonprofit can really help in bringing up that curiosity and bringing up that energy around using data to drive decisions and to make your impact. Definitely embedding it in all areas is the right way to go. So I think there's an aspect of being data-driven sounds great. It sounds sexy. It sounds like, yeah, I totally want to do that. But it also involves data collection and frankly, data entry. So I'm wondering, do you have any tools or tips for our audience about how you make that happen with fidelity to the data? Have you seen, for example, salary incentives tied to clean data? Hmm. I have not seen that. I've seen some interesting roles created on either tech teams or within individual teams that include data guru or data master in them. The thing that I have seen be most powerful for data entry is the data entry Friday pizza party. I have never seen a more powerful tool for data entry than to get a couple boxes of pizza, get your team together and make it into a party. Uh, so the more fun this can be, <laughs> the better. I think it's it's a really interesting question when it comes to like thinking about where your time is best spent. The other thing I would emphasize for people is that when you do data entry, you know your data really well. So there's a lot of ways to automate and there's a lot of good reasons to automate and save time, but there's nothing wrong or shameful about doing some good old data entry. And especially if that means that later when someone says, hey, something looks a little off, I'm not sure why the numbers say this, you have all the building blocks, you know exactly why the numbers look that way. So there can be a lot of benefit to doing some manual data entry every now and again. Well, Emily, this has been super helpful, and I'd love to have you back. Maybe you can be a standing guest. Tech Talk with Emily. Tech Talk. That would be so great. For all of our listeners out there, I will make sure that Emily's information is in the show notes if you want to get in touch with her and talk about all of the data and all of the Excel and all of the CRMs. But until next time, thank you so much. Thanks for being here, Emily. Thank you so much, Ria. 